Why don't we get into the word today? We are in a collection called With All My Heart. And we're talking about what are the things this year that God is calling us to pursue with all of our hearts. Last Sunday, how many of you love Sarah Wallach? Wasn't she amazing? We've been getting so much feedback about how that word spoke directly to so many people. And so we've been talking about what are the things that God is calling us to pursue with all of our hearts. We talked about God's presence. We talked about community. And today, we're going to talk about revival. That we as a church, we as a body of Christ, as believers— are called to pursue revival with all of our hearts. Now, as soon as I mention the word revival, I imagine there's a broad spectrum of many different emotions that are being evoked. Some of y'all hear that word and you get excited. You're all amped up. You're going to your closet, busting out your shofar. You're ready to do a praise dance. I imagine some of you, you feel feelings of PTSD from when you were younger and your parents dragged you to all those revival services and you just want to be home playing video games or watching TV, but you just hear people singing and dancing and speaking in tongues. But I imagine most of us are in a place where, if you really thought about it, you have no clue what revival even means or what it looks like. I spent a huge chunk of my life, my spiritual life, praying for revival. I mean, I would do it every Sunday. I would do it at praise, uh, prayer meetings, praise nights, and I'd just be contending for revival. And I remember one day as I was praying for revival, God stopped me. He said, Mickey, do you even really know what you're praying for? And I thought for a second, and I thought, you know, I don't really know what I'm praying for. I don't really know what revival looks like. I don't really even know what revival is. It's just something that I was taught to pursue. And so today, we're going to talk about what revival is. And I think when most of us think of revival, we think of a Pentecostal charismatic service. But revival is so much more. And today, I want us to understand what exactly revival is And why God longs for his people to pursue it with all of their hearts. So let me open us up in a word of prayer and then we'll get right into it. Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you're a God who loves to move among your people, among the land. You you love to move in our lives. You love to insert yourself into history, into time, into generations and prove your wondrous works. And I pray today that we would just catch a glimpse, a spark of your passion to see revival here on earth. And specifically for us, revival here in the city of San Francisco. So God, would you open our hearts? Would you move? We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every few months, um, I get into different YouTube channels. And so uh, a few months back, I really got into this YouTube channel called Guga Foods. This guy gets the most expensive A5 Japanese Wagyu meats and cooks them, grills them. He does all these experiments, dry aging with like Nutella, like all these random things. But most recently, the YouTube channel that I really got into is this YouTube channel called Odd Tinkering. And it's this guy who goes to these yard sales and antique stores and gets stuff that are really old, beaten up. And what he does is he revives them. He makes the color look like what it once used to look like. If it's a machine, he, he makes it work again. And the most recent video that I watched, he found an old PS1. 
and it had like Crash Bandicoot in it or something, and it was all yellow and discolored. It wasn't working properly, but he got it. And the whole video, no music, no other sound, but him just taking apart everything piece by piece, throwing it into different chemicals. And then at the end, he shows how he revived that very object. And in this particular video, he took this old crusty, there's like crust of skin and dirt and it's yellow PS1 and he renewed it back to its original form. It looked brand new back when, whenever it was that it, it was sold. And when I think about revival, I think about what this man on YouTube does. When you revive something, it's taking something that was dead and bringing it back to life. And I think another word that's helpful in helping us understand revival is the word awakening. It's taking something that was asleep and waking it up. You know, when I was younger, I used to love skateboarding. Me and my friends, we used to do it all the time. We'd grab Slurpees from 7-Eleven or Arizona iced teas, and just all day we'd just be skating. And I skated throughout middle school, throughout high school. But after high school, I stopped. And so from 18 to the age, what, 30, I stopped skateboarding. It wasn't until I met Jacob that my life changed. And Jacob, in 2018, for some random reason, just felt like skateboarding again. And he revived, he awakened my dormant passion, my love for skateboarding. Of course, it led to a bunch of back injuries, and now I'm too old. It's hard for me to get up. But, but nonetheless, that's what I think about when I think about revival. Taking something that was dead, what was once asleep, and waking it up. In our spiritual lives, this is expressed in so many different ways. For the follower of Jesus who is apathetic and numb, God revives them to new life. For those who have yet to meet Jesus, God awakens them to himself. For a world that's so out of order and so far from everything that God intended, God revives it to reflect his kingdom. You see, we have to remember that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make the dead come to life. And this is essentially what revival is. It's awakening people from their slumber. It's reviving the dead to experience the reality of God. Listen, God's heart for not just our church, but the church, God's heart for the body of Christ is to pursue revival with all of our hearts. And today, I want us to understand what revival is. And so, I broke it down. I want to talk about three ways that revival manifests itself here on this earth while we're alive. And so, these are three areas that we're called to pursue God's awakening. Y'all ready for that? If you have a notepad, laptop, phone, now it's time to bust it out. We're going to talk about three ways that revival manifests itself in our lives. Number one, revival is first and foremost the personal awakening of the heart. Revival always begins in the individual's heart. If we look at the great revivals throughout history, the first great awakening, it was Jonathan Edwards, one man. God sparked something in him and he led a movement. In the second great awakening, another great revival, Charles Finney was the one who was set ablaze. If we look um, to the 1900s, the Azusa Street Revival, a man named William J. Seymour. See, revival always starts in the individual's hearts. And listen, I don't know about you, but I always find myself, I always find my heart drifting away from God. 
I find myself so distracted by the things of this world, by my social media feed, by, you know, I, we've been getting into Bling Empire on Netflix. It's the craziest show. Don't watch it. It makes me so mad, but I can't stop watching it. All the little worries that we concern ourselves from day to day, so many things distract us from God, and I find myself so numb, so apathetic to who God is, and I find myself so comfortable that I don't long for him anymore. And what I need when I get to that place is a revival of the heart. I need an awakening from my spiritual slumber. Come on, how many of you need that even right now at this very moment? Have you ever experienced a personal awakening of the heart? Maybe it was when you first met Jesus and you were so aware of your need for him. You were hungry for him. You were passionate to pursue him. He was your everything. Nothing else mattered. You would spend hours in the word, hours in prayer, hours in worship. It didn't matter. You didn't count the cost because your heart was so alive. Or maybe it's another time in your life, a particular season where God reignited your passion for him. For me, I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was seven. But I remember I went through a season, you know, middle school, trying to be rebellious, where I was so far from God, and I found myself so empty. But I remember it was at a retreat on the cusp of going into high school when I came to this retreat, and I experienced the Holy Spirit in such a powerful and mighty way, and God revived my heart in that moment. And I was so on fire Like, I was so passionate about getting into the word, about praying. I got so involved in church. I started leading worship. I started praying. I started preaching. Have you ever experienced the revival of the heart? This is the first way that revival expresses itself. Isaiah 55, 17. This is what the prophet Isaiah prophesies. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. A revival of the heart can only really happen in the lowly place, the place where you realize that you've tried everything else but God and it's left you empty. The place where you become so aware of your apathy, of your emptiness, of your dissatisfaction, of your sin. The place where you confess that I can't do this life on my own. I can't keep going like this. It's the place where you realize your absolute need for Jesus. This is where revival begins, where God begins to awaken the heart. He replaces your apathy with passion, your numbness with zeal. A famous revivalist, Vance Havner, once said, revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. We need revival of the heart. When we drift, we need a revival to awaken us from our spiritual slumber. And listen, this isn't a one-stop journey. I mean, if you've been in this faith long enough, you know this is not a one-stop journey, a one-time thing. This is a place we need to come back to again and again in our lifetime because why? My heart is drifting all the time. I'm always forgetting that there is a reality greater than living this life that I see before my very eyes. And maybe this is the place that you're at today and you need God to come awaken you from your apathy your emptiness, your numbness. What I'm here to tell you is 
Our prayer must be, God, come and awaken my heart. We need to posture ourselves in that lowly place and say, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I confess all of the ways that I've drifted from you. Another famous revivalist, theologian, amazing minister, Leonard Ravenhill, he once said in revival, God is not concerned about filling empty churches. He's concerned about filling empty hearts. And so the first way that revival manifests itself is revival in the personal heart. If we're to be a people who pursue revival, this is the first thing that we must seek with all of our hearts again and again. And so number one, revival is the personal or the individual awakening of the heart. But number two, revival is the corporate awakening of the church. Ezekiel 37, 4 through 6, the the prophet is prophesying over the Israelites, over the people of God. And he's saying, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. See, the prophet Ezekiel is prophesying over a people that have been exiled, that have been so distant from God, and he's saying, you, the people of God, and to us today, you, the church, revival is God breathing life into the dry bones of the church, into the dry bones of our stagnant faith. If you remember in Acts 2, God poured out his spirit on a people on a covenant community. Think about this. The way that Holy Spirit decided to make his grand entrance into the hearts of men, his grand debut to humanity was through the church, through a covenant community. Listen, this is why we always say, San Francisco doesn't need another Sunday service. Y'all, tune in to Hillsong. Their production is a million times better than this. Their, Their vocalists are amazing. Their worship's cool. Their production, their graphics, their preaching... But what San Francisco needs are covenant communities, people that will say, we're after this one thing together, not just showing up to church on Sunday, but about pursuing God's renewal and revival of our community, of the church. God's dream, his heart, from the very beginning, was always to dwell among a people that he would call his own. And God longs to empower a covenant community to do his most beautiful works here on earth. And he's looking, his eyes are looking to and fro in the land to look for those individual hearts. But he's looking for covenant communities that will make space to say, with all of our hearts, God, come and revive us so that we can do your most beautiful works here on earth. You see, God's heart and design from the very beginning was to reach the world through the church. The church was meant to be the vehicle to deliver the good news of the gospel and the reality of the kingdom to a broken world. The church was meant to be the answer for every pain, every injustice, every brokenness, every darkness. How sad is it that today, when we think about the church, it seems to be so far from that reality. When the world thinks of the church, the world sees not a source of belonging or healing or justice or love. The world sees a source of pain, of segregation, of hypocrisy, of injustice. The church needs a revival. 
We need an awakening in the church. And so when we talk about revival, we're talking about God waking up the church to her divine purpose. We were meant to be the extension of God's kingdom here on earth. We were meant to shine light in the darkness. We were meant to be agents of justice and peace. We were meant to lead others into a powerful encounter with the living God. And when God awakens the church, what he often does in correlation is he awakens her gifts. And so when we're talking about revival in the church, God pours out his spirit so that it's a a divine empowerment so that the church could enter into her divine purpose, a fresh wind that empowers us to reach the world around us. Another revivalist, I'm just quoting a lot of revivalists today, Stephen Olford once said, revival is ultimately Christ himself seen, felt, heard, living, active, moving in and through his body on earth. And so in revival, the church is awakened to represent Christ to the world. You know, one of the hardest things for me to witness in 2020 was how tragically we have misrepresented Jesus and the gospel to the world around us. And I feel like 2020 was a reckoning year for the church. It's almost like God put a mirror to the church and said, look at who you are. Look at what you've become. Look how far from my image you have strayed from. We need revival. The question is, how do we pursue revival for the church? I mean, maybe you've been in church all your life and you've never experienced anything close to this. I want us to think about the first outpouring of the Spirit, going all the way back to Acts 2, when Holy Spirit comes upon the first believers of the church. What was the setting? They were gathering together every single day after Jesus left. And what were they doing? They were praying. They showed up first, and number two, they prayed together. And there was a collective space for believers to come and have their hearts revived together. There was a collective confession that they needed more than what they were experiencing in the natural. There was a collective hunger for the presence of God, a collective passion for God to move among them, for God to pour out his spirit. You know, one of my hearts and one of my visions for 2021, for 99, is that there would be a collective hunger for the presence of God. But it starts, number one, with a collective commitment to showing up for one another, with one another, and number two, praying together. And so this year, one thing that we're going to focus on is we're going to create atmospheres where we could come together and pray, maybe not in person right now because, you know, because of the circumstances, but at least virtually and hopefully later in the year together in person. But we want to create these collective spaces where we can hunger and pursue the presence of God together to have a collective space to pursue revival, to confess our need for him. And, you know, this is why we're pushing community groups so hard, you know, if, if the disciples hadn't committed just to showing up in that house every day, I mean, imagine, they were coming together in that house for 40 days, 50 days, and nothing was happening. They were praying. They weren't seeing anything. They were still being persecuted. They were still on the run and hiding. Nothing was happening, but there was a resolve that we're going to show up because we know that there is a moment coming when Holy Spirit will pour himself out, and we don't want to miss it. We want to be there. 
And so never underestimate the power of showing up. And this is why we're pushing community groups so hard, because it's a space for us to show up and show up for one another, but also to show up and make a space for God to move. I don't know if I've ever experienced a quote-unquote revival in the church, but I think the closest thing that I ever experienced was in college when I was in UC Davis, back when Chris and I were friend zone and we just met for the first time. But I remember there was something special about that season where God just poured out a collective hunger. We used to do this thing called chapel. Every Thursday night, we would have a prayer meeting that was supposed to go from 8 to 10. But what we ended up doing, we had a prayer meeting for the prayer meeting. And so we'd show up at 4 and we would pray for the prayer meeting, and then we would go into the prayer meeting, and then we'd go way past 10, and at the time, I, I moved back home all the way to the Bay Area, and so every Thursday, I was driving three hours in traffic to go to Davis, and they come back two hours after that in the middle of the night, but there was this collective hunger, a collective presence that people were longing to go after together, and people were feeding off one another. There was this fire of furnace that was lit in the community, in the church. I remember one gathering at the pre-service prayer to the prayer. It was so wild because at the time we we're just, you know, uh, worshiping with the guitar and with vocals and people were just singing. But those gatherings were so free and so full of the presence of God. I remember one time I went to a wall and I just started drumming on it and it was just so fun, so much joy, so much freedom in the atmosphere. And I don't know if that was revival, but I think it's the closest thing that I've ever experienced. It's something that I'm longing for in this community where when we're just around each other, it's like, oh man, I feel you're burning and I just, I feel burned now too. I feel the, the fire of the spirit being lit up in me, the passion of God rising up in me. And so we have to be a people who pursue revival, not just for our individual hearts, but for the church, for 99. And for the church at large, the church here in San Francisco, the church here in the States. So number one, revival is the personal or the individual awakening of the heart. Number two, revival is the corporate awakening of the church. And last, revival is the regional awakening of the city. In Acts 2, 46-47, this is right after God poured out his spirit among the church. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They showed up. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Listen, when we're talking about revival, we're talking about God's spirit breaking out of the four walls of the church and moving throughout the region, in our context, the city. Your coworkers, your peers, your neighbors, your friends and family, people are healed, people are set free, and people are moved into an encounter with Jesus. This is what we're after. This is why God wants the church, this is why God wants you, the individual believer, to experience revival so that to this broken, hurting world, to this world that does not know God, they can meet the living God. But listen, I think we all understand that revival, yes, in revival people are getting saved, people are giving their lives to Jesus, but I think it's so much more than that. It's the wider society being radically transformed to look more and more like the kingdom of God. Um, One of, I think, the best preachers throughout church history, David Lloyd-Jones, he once said, a revival means days of heaven upon earth. 
Revival, when it breaks out of the church, looks like heaven on earth. It looks like justice and equity for all. Revival looks like healing across racial barriers. Revival looks like care for the poor, the immigrant, the widow. Revival is the healing of the land. You know, many people wouldn't consider Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. a revivalist, but I would. Maybe he didn't, you know, pitch up tents and do altar calls and have people come and get slain in the spirit and shout out in tongues. But I tell you, his pursuit of justice, his pursuit of releasing heaven here on earth in his context, I believe that he was pursuing revival. He was one who ushered in a picture of heaven across the land. One of my favorite stories, uh, probably the most recent, what people would label revival, was the Azusa Street Revival. And it was in the early 1900s. Started in a small house with a small group of people. William J. Seymour, like I said, just got fired up and blasted with the Holy Spirit. Started gathering people. People started getting saved and healed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. The house was so packed, people were outside the windows on the street just trying to get into the presence of God. Eventually, they had to move to a warehouse and it started getting bigger and bigger. Became known as the Azusa Street Revival. And it kept growing and growing. But what's notable about this revival was that during this time period, there was so much segregation racially and economically. And this was at the height of the Jim Crow era of segregation. But at these revival gatherings, people from all different backgrounds came and worshiped together. Black, white, Asian, Latino, Native American, immigrants, rich, poor, educated, illiterate. All these people that in the outside world were segregated, but when they came and revival hit, They were joined together in a song of worship in a collective pursuit of the presence of God. It was a picture of the kingdom of God here on earth. And so this is what happens when revival breaks out of the church into the city, into the town, into the suburb, wherever you're at, is that people get saved, people get healed, people get delivered, but also society, the city, everything around us starts to reflect heaven more and more. 99, I'm speaking directly to you. Do you know that there's a reason why you're alive right now and that you weren't born in the early 1900s, that you weren't born in the 50s? There's a reason why you were born in the 80s. I found out some people from our church were born past 2000. That blows my mind. But there's a reason why you were born right now. And there's a reason why you're here in San Francisco There's a reason why you're here in the Bay Area, and it's not just for a paycheck. It's not just for a career. It's not just for the girl that you chased across the country. You're here for a God-ordained reasons, and one of those reasons is that you would pursue revival for the land. That you would pursue revival for the city of San Francisco. That you would pursue revival for Box or Dropbox or Google or Facebook or wherever you're at. There's a God-ordained reason why you're here. You're not here by accident. There is a divine purpose. And listen, it's not a force our religion down your throat kind of thing. But it's inviting people to witness and experience the beauty of Jesus. Church, we cannot stop pursuing revival for our city. I truly want the city of San Francisco to know Jesus. I truly want our city to experience God the way that we have. And so one of our commitments this year is to pursue revival for the city. And it starts by praying and contending, God, I want to see San Francisco look more like heaven. 
God, I want to see my workplace look more like the kingdom of God. But you know, one thing that we're going to do as we pursue revival for the city, we're not just going to pray and make it this spiritual thing, but we're going to show up. You know, when we do these things with mobilized love, we're pursuing revival for our city. When we're reaching the vulnerable in our city, we're pursuing revival for the city. When we give towards causes that helps those who are struggling in the city, we're giving towards revival. This is what we're after. And so number one, revival is the personal awakening of the heart. Number two, revival is the the corporate awakening of the church. And last but not least, revival is the regional awakening of the city. Just want to end with this. How do we do this? Maybe you're saying, I want my heart to be revived, but it's so hard. I want our church to experience revival, but I wonder if there's anyone else that feels the same way that I do. I want San Francisco to meet Jesus, but I just don't know how or what that looks like. And the last thing I want to leave you with this, I want us to pay attention to the circumstances surrounding the greatest moves of God throughout the Bible. Think about Joseph. Some of God's greatest work in Joseph's life was when he was sold into slavery. He influenced an entire house and was elevated. It was when he was falsely imprisoned that he impacted the entire prison and people were so aware that God was real, Yahweh. Look at the early church. The early church experienced the outpouring of the Spirit in a time of the greatest persecution on the church. The Azusa Street Revival, in a time of great racial segregation, what am I saying? Revival is not dependent on all the outward circumstances aligning and coming into place. You don't need to wait for everything around you to click before you start thriving and living the life that Jesus has called you to live. In fact, it's usually in the darkness, in the confusion, in the pain, in the hopelessness where the most powerful moves of God come from. Last revivalist I'm going to quote, Andrew Gee once said, God's time for revival is the very darkest hour. When everything seems hopeless, it is always the Lord's way to go to the very worst cases to manifest his glory. Listen, you may be in a season where you feel hopeless, where you feel passionless and stuck. And maybe my altar call earlier when I said, for those of you who feel restless, or maybe you're not unsure, you're unsure of what's next after the pandemic, so much is in the air, or maybe you feel alone and without momentum. Let me tell you, this is the exact place where God loves to break out, where God loves to revive the weary heart, where God loves to fire up the lukewarm church where God loves to move. And it all starts in that lowly place, in that place where you confess your utter need for him, where you pray a simple prayer, God, come and awaken my heart. Give me eyes to see you. Give me ears to hear you. Listen, if you're in that place, I just want to encourage you and challenge you to just make a space to say, God, this is my lowly place. I can't do this on my own. I can't fire up my faith with my own willpower and my own strength. I need a revival of the heart. And all it requires, nothing forced, nothing that you have to do in your own striving, but it just requires you to keep showing up with an open heart and keep saying, God, would you come and awaken my heart? God, would you come and revive me?
99, what would it look like if we would be a people committed to pursuing revival with all of our hearts? Revival for our individual hearts, revival for our community, revival for our city. I believe that we would see something so amazing this year in our city, in our community, in your life. We just need to come. We just need to say, God, come awaken me. Come revive my heart. Let's pray. God, we know that you're moving, but sometimes it's just so hard to see it. We know you're moving in our lives. We know you're moving in our church. But sometimes it's just so hard to perceive it. And maybe we weren't meant to perceive it all the time. Maybe that's where faith kicks in. But today we just confess our dead hearts to you. We confess our apathy, our numbness, our slumber. And even if we don't walk away from this live stream you know, passionate for Jesus, up to 100. Even if we walk away just saying, at least I'm going to resolve to showing up in that lowly place and saying, come, Holy Spirit, awaken my heart. Maybe that's enough. And maybe if we keep doing that enough and keep coming and keep showing up with open hearts, maybe you'll move just like you did in the early church. I believe that you're going to do it, God. I believe that every believer here hasn't seen their best days. I believe every believer here hasn't felt the most intense passion and love for you that they're going to feel in this lifetime. I believe that 99 has yet to experience this. But we long to. We want to. And so we resolve, we commit our hearts to pursuing this. Let 2021 be a year of radical pursuit, of revival for our hearts, for our community, for our city. At this time, I want us to respond by getting out our communion elements. If you have your bread or cracker or chip or your wine. And the thing that I keep hearing God saying is, my body was not broken for you to live passionless and numb and so disconnected My body was not broken for you to live in constant pain or fear. My blood was not spilled for you to live in shame and in bondage. My body was broken for you to live life to the fullest that I've intended for you. My body was broken so that you would be full of life, full of passion, full of love. My blood was spilled so that you would live in freedom, that you would live so totally free, confident in who you are, free to be yourself, free to love others. You need a revival. So today, as we take our elements, I want that to be our simple prayer. The body that was broken for me, the blood that was spilled, was broken and spilled so that I would be revived, so that this dead person could come back to life. So right now, I want us to take the bread And just hold it before you. And I just want to pray. God, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Broken for our healing. Broken for our wholeness.
but also broken so that we would thrive, so that we would live and experience life and life to the full. Today, as we take the bread, it's our prayer and our commitment that we will pursue a revival of our hearts. Right now, why don't you take the bread? Now get your wine or your juice. God, I thank you, Lord, for the blood that was spilled on your behalf. We receive your communion today. And God, would you free us from our shame and our bondage? Would you move powerfully, God? Right now, why don't you take the blood? Thank you, God, for who you are. We pursue you with all of our hearts.